1: following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit wwwcane 5com
2: welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with two distinctly different, but converging chefs, Pichet Ong and Julian Medina. Thanks for being here today.
3: Hello. Thank Hello. you for having us. Thank
2: you. <laughs> oh, welcome. Sheltered from the rain. It's kind of nice. Um, what's, what's fascinating is that I've seen the trajectory of both of your careers for a long time. I even remember Julian when you were at Zocalo and yeah. um, Pichet when you were over at Spice Market. Um, and now, it's at a point where you two are working together. Even though you've worked in so many different restaurants around the world, different cuisines, uh, there's a common ground at uh, Coppelia. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the project?
4: Well, um, I think we met when Bishop was uh, over at a Spice Market. Uh, we came over for dinner with, uh, with my wife and since then we know each other we never worked together but this is our first you know venture together yeah. i thought uh you know pichet and his super talent of being creative with desserts is just amazing so you know we kind of got together for this uh that this new concept that is just basically a cuban kind of latin diner that's yeah. open 24 hours and having fun desserts
2: yeah, yeah. and i mean T.J., do you have any Cuban background in cuisine and or ethnicity?
3: No, actually, I don't have any Cuban background. (laughs) Um, I've never actually even been to Cuba, but I will at some point.
2: Well, I mean, I was asking you before, how many projects do you have going on right now?
3: I have a lot. um, I have a lot of little small projects. I mean, I have over a dozen, but, um, you know, it's... It's just what I have to do. To um, I don't. I feel like I don't have a home at the moment. Um, I'm sort of floating around, yeah. um, and I help out um, whatever chefs that need help. Um, and Julian, being a, a close friend, is one of them. Um, and the other small projects that I have that goes on.
2: Yeah, and as far as consulting, it's mainly on the uh, sweet side. On pastry, I do have a few dessert. that I do yeah.
3: savory food as well. I have a Thai restaurant in Times Square called Chi. Yeah, um, that's something I do savory. Seri- savory food for i also do uh, some savory food at papa lounge uh, yeah. san francisco and new york um so you know I, I you know whatever the client wants a lot of times people come to me for asian food as well um in particular thai and chinese
2: yeah well i mean let's start from the beginning where were you born where did you grow up and this goes out to both of you
3: uh i was born in thailand uh, i left when i was four i uh lived in singapore up until the point of high school um, with Hong Kong and Japan, in between, because I travel around a lot with my mom when I was younger. It was kind of like a whirlwind you know with 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 her um, and I basically followed her wherever she goes um, but in the end i I um, stayed through elementary school with my with my aunt in Singapore and then after I finished, I came here to the states to um, t- come to college, I went to Brandeis, and then went to california
2: yeah I mean, but you went to Brandeis for something completely different than food.
3: Yeah, I majored in math and English. Yeah.
2: Um, and then you uh, Berkeley, too. It was, for architecture, yeah. Yeah. And then when did that transition to cuisine, to culinary arts happen?
3: Well, I've always cooked. I cooked at home when I was seven. Uh, you know, I was like by seven, I already baked my first cookie. Yeah. By 10, 12, I already made pies and, you know, made <laughs> what was your pork first chops cookie? and chocolate chip. Yeah.
2: I think everyone's first cookie yeah. is chocolate chip, right?
3: It's, everybody likes that.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: So, we wow. even have it in Copelia. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it, is it and La Esquina. <laughs> is it it's disti- a different
3: one, though. I promise.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know you have to. You kind of have to separate yourself and stay true to each project. How, how do you do that when there are so many similar foundations?
3: I try to figure out what the chef likes, you yeah. know, um, and then I, I I go from there. You know, I know Akhtar uh, has with his Indian background. He you know, try to do some kind of Indian-inspired Mexican desserts. Yeah. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like the most mudded cuisine I've ever heard. It's what? Like Indian, Asian, oh, Mexican. Oh, no, it works Latin. really yeah. well. You have to go yeah. see to believe it. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
3: like he takes monkfish he, and uh, he puts in uh, uh, like a pistachio sauce and he puts them in little, um, ca- uh, what do you call that, canteen pinto things um, and then he serves them thali style. I yeah. think it's really fascinating. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, he's also what... Uh, from Kentucky as well. So he's a southern yes. indian cooking mexico. Yes. Mexican. There's some of that too. Yeah. Kind of fascinating. And Julian, where where did you
4: grow up? I grew up in Mexico City. Yeah. Yeah. And was it always cooking in mind? Um well, it was on a point where after um high school when I started like liking it, you know, yeah. you know, seeing like my family, my grandfather, my grandfather used to cook a lot. My even my father cooks a lot now. You know he loves to gather friends and you know, yeah. family every weekend and he cooks he barbecues he does he does a lot of stuff, so it was just like I grew up with that every every day so um I don't know. it just came up to me that I wanted to be a chef or so, and I started like you know uh working in Mexico back in Mexico, yeah um for like a few years. And then I just uh, decided to move out of Mexico. I think I felt like I needed to do something else with my life at yeah. that point.
2: Well, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, in your bio, it was saying that you worked at Hotel Nico. Yes. Um, which, even though in Mexico City, the majority of the food was French.
4: It was it was in a French restaurant that it was uh, Les Celebrites or something. That, yeah. that They had one here, also in New York. Yeah. And it was just that... You know, very classic French uh, cuisine. So that was basically my train, my training. Yeah. Uh, back there, uh, when I came here, I didn't know much about Mexican food, actually. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, of course, been Mexican stuff and working in uh, uh, with Richard Sandoval, oh. That um, I worked with him even even before he started. Doing his first Mexican project, he being Mexican, he wanted to do something. Yeah, and what so, kind of projects
2: did you work on? I mean, a lot of people know uh, Richard Sandoval in New York, but I think it, the younger generation doesn't.
4: Yeah, um, he had Savan. Exactly, uh, yeah, I worked I, at Savan. I actually came to work at Savan for a friend to a friend. Uh, he's like, well, I know this guy and. Uh, you know, here's his number if you want to call him. So one day I just decided to pick up the phone and call him yeah, and ask him for a job. And he's like, well, you know, I don't have anything right now, but I will give you a call. So the next day he gave me a call at uh, at, the, at the hotel, yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, come over. Uh, I have a job for you. I think uh, you know we can work out something." So he's like, "When when can you be here?" In two weeks, yeah, and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, I was there, you know, uh, after a month, but um, you know, I I left uh, my my job at the hotel and then. I moved here without knowing where I was going to stay or anything. He's yeah. like, "Don't worry, I'll give you, you know, uh, don't worry, just go and ask for the manager at the Saban." And been uh, the guy was Mexican too, Ricardo, another Ricardo, and um, and he's like, "You're gonna stay with him and stuff." So I didn't even. I mean, I was a little in the plane yeah. without knowing where I was going to stay that day. That's,
2: that's a lot of faith in cooking, a right? Lot of faith in <laughs> chefs,
4: yeah. So. Um, And then I started in Saban with him, you know, working and the one on the east side. Yeah. He had two at the time. And then, you know, he mentioned to me that he wanted to do a Mexican restaurant. That happened within, like, after a year and a half or two. Yeah. A
2: year and a half. that was
4: Maya? Uh, That was Maya, the first venture. So he's like, you know, he was actually looking for a chef to run that place uh, because he didn't want to be a chef. And then he ended up being the chef. Yeah. Being, you know, a chef after... A CIA that he went to CIA um, and then he's like well do you want to be like my sous chef chef de cuisine I say sure Yeah. so me being like 22 at a time I was just like okay I'll take the responsibility <laughs> and, and from there he was you know I mean he was there the first six months and then You know, after we got a a, we got a review from the Times, Ruth Rachel gave us the two stars. So after that, he was just gone, and he started you know growing his empire.
2: Yeah, Sushi Samba being part of that. No,
4: he's he's actually not at Sushi Samba. I was at Sushi Samba. Oh, you were at Sushi Samba. After that, I worked for him like as his corporate chef. Mm-hmm. For a few years, and opening here and there, and then I moved uh, to Sushi Samba after that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating how long it took you to get to the cuisine you grew up with. I mean, Pichet, did you? Uh, Me too. I never yeah. thought I was
3: I was too Thai food. Yeah. Um,
2: how long in your career did it take to get to cooking Thai?
3: Oh, I guess twenty years. Yeah. I mean, this 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 is the twentieth anniversary of my cooking career, yeah. and um, I think it's the first time I'm doing Thai food, and now considering doing Chinese food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first time,
2: but how does it change in your mind? Having after having cooked for twenty years, well, how, how do you reapproach that food?
3: Well, to be honest, I still have more savory experience than than pastry. I, I still have probably about eleven years of savory cooking, so uh, I'm still more adept in, in in savory cooking in a way. Um, but I, I think uh, Asian flavor lends itself really easily to um, for me because I, my whole point of uh, my my most favorite part of food is you know. Sweet notes—that's my focus—is yeah. sweet notes in food in general, caramelization of anything, um, bringing out the best uh, in of food through using sugar and sweetness of natural sweetness of ingredients, and so uh, Thai food ha- has a lot of that going on, and-, and Chinese as well. So I think it's 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 quite a natural process for me to transition.
2: Yeah, and then jumping ahead again to Capalia—I mean, I've eaten at Yerba a couple of times, and I feel like a lot of the uh, you know, the acidity, the juices, a lot of the natural flavors that you have there also have those hints of yes. natural sugar. Yes, I think Julian's food, towards, is, yeah. the
3: food in general is, has, has a sweet note as well. It's very complex, yeah. uh, you know, and I think one of the things that's misunderstood in cooking is people tend to focus so much on salt. But in a way, uh, sweetness, not necessarily adding sugar, but just using fruit or using a sweeter vinegar or um, a sweeter cuts of meat or fish uh very you know in very subtle ways bring out um the best in food yeah i think and i mean julian did you ever
2: tap into your dessert chef self and try to do that alone before calling pisha
4: um it was going to be a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> i had a, already a lot of work just uh, you know worrying about for just the regular menu and I wanted to do something different and I know that Pichet is that uh, that guy that is different and you know, he he, he has his work ethic, is it's very professional and stuff being us friends also, you know, I let him do whatever he needs to do because he's amazing in what he does Yeah. and uh, you know uh, and, and Pichet has this thing where, you know, he sees ingredients where I'm using and stuff and then he comes up with uh, something like you know, it's like comparable with, uh, with, you know, my food or, or just trying to make the the right thing, you know, for the place. Like he does some chicharrones covered chocolate, which is brilliant and yeah. stuff like that, you know, I mean that, that he puts a lot of salt, he uses a lot of salt in, in his pastries that, um, I think, you know, so to balance sometimes of the flavors and as he says, bring the natural sugars of a lot of stuff, uh, that's, that's the way to go. And, uh, you know, my cooking is just you know, do, uh, doing after the yerba buena. It's just it's it's just also that you know, having the mixture of uh, all Latin America, South America, and you know, take my favorite dishes from there, and then from there I'll make them my own kind of thing. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel or anything, yeah. but it's just you know, it's it's just comfort food that is just especially in Copelia. Um, you know, it's a very laid back place where you can go and have I don't know. Uh, Whatever you want, a ceviche at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know. I mean, in Mexico um, and at most Latin America, when you grow up and then you go, you know, you stay late, you you hang out with your friends, you go to a bar, you party and stuff. At 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock, you're hungry. Yeah. So in Mexico we have, well, in every country, I guess, but in Mexico we have the tacos, al pastor, and stuff that you go, you eat, you know. Um, And, uh, you know, we have... Things on the menu that you can get, like the whole twenty four hours, like that.
3: So yeah, um, I mean,
2: where did that culture disappear to? For a long time, I don't think there was
3: a twenty four hour joint for
2: chefs to go to afterwards. I
3: think nightlife in New York has changed uh, since when I first came here in the eighties. Is is there's less of it? Yeah, I mean, aside from Koreatown, um, there are very few options to go out as late in the morning um so you know at copelia we try to offer that and it's something for everyone you find your own craving there you know you may have a taco or you can have like a you a know chocolate chocolate chip cookie, cacao, yeah. chocolate chip cookie <laughs> or uh, any kind of um, drinks that we have uh, we're, we're getting our liquor license soon right now yeah. we just have juices but pretty soon we're going to have a whole line of um cocktails and, and and beer as well um so yeah like a diner you you um you can go uh just just it's just about for anything you can have a salad or you know you can yeah. have like a so, a whole plate of food or breakfast yeah
2: so from julian's background what what sweet notes of latin cuisine have you pulled out for your own desserts
3: oh i think um that you know naturally there's a lot of tomato which yeah. is used um and very few people realize that it's actually a fruit um right yeah yeah um so um th- there's um you know it's predominantly used and and You know, it's it's not like you add sugar to it, but you're adding a sweet note to um, your sauce. Um, There's, you know, a mole that Julian does, um, a kind of mole that he does with chicken wings. um, That's really delicious. The alitas, right? You have um, chocolate in there. Yeah. Um, And
2: it has dried fruit. And I mean, it has a lot of.
3: You know. yeah
4: that that dish is it was actually coming up from like a
3: like a spicy sour sauce, but we add chocolate just to balance it a little okay, bit yeah. you know, and the bitterness also makes it very mouth watering because actually you know if you had a bitter soup or a bitter anything zest um you you start to your mouth starts to get watery and then your taste bud is susceptible to tasting anything else that comes along with it, so I think that's a that's a pretty basic um you know, cooking trick or feeding yeah. trick that that um, we do.
2: So you add so bitter to create salivation
3: to yes. create flavors. Yeah, opening up I, your.
2: So, so are are there other ways that you use flavor to block or enhance another? Um, you know, salt is yeah. another
3: good one, especially coarse salt like Maldon salt, yeah. which he also uses. Because if the first thing you taste is salt, then you sort of, um, you know, you feel like this is going to go well, you know, somehow in your mind, it's tricked into saying, you know, this taste is going to go well, and you taste all the other stuff along with it.
2: Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, Have you pulled out some of, you know, Pichet's Asian ingredients, uh, BM Chinese, BM Thai, uh, to then incorporate... He stole in my economy. tamarind. <laughs> <laughs> you shared tamarind. Well,
4: you know what is the the good thing about it? It's just like uh, um, all like... Uh, we, we, we were talking about uh, Indian and, you know, Mexican ingredients and, you know, uh, Chinese and Thai. The food is... It's it's kind of similar in a way, you know. The, the, the uses of, of spices and chilies and stuff is just... Uh, um, you know, it's just very similar, you know.
3: Lime juice... Uh, Yeah, we we use a lot of
4: yeah, citrus. I I like to use a lot of citrus in my cooking, you know, because you want that pop. You know that, and uh, it's very similar. So um, we kind of use the same ingredients. I mean, tamarind in Mexican cooking is it's it's kind of a staple too. You know, so but yeah. that comes from from obviously from Asia, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we love tamarind. I mean, in Mexico, you literally go and you know you 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 eat candy, a uh, tamarind candy with uh, you know salty and oh, yeah. spicy and stuff like that. I mean, that's that I grew up with that. You know, eating those kind of candies. Yeah, me Not too. Like, Right? Not like the sweet and, you know, candies I know, I that the they're like. I the first time I ever had
2: a tamarind candy, a salted tamarind candy. Did and you like that? Not the first time. I mean, yeah. I've grown to understand it. Because I, I think without having that inherently in your childhood. It's an acquired uh, taste. Yeah, yeah. But, it uh, took
3: me a long time to get used to apple pie.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break right now and, you know, travel a little more around the world through P. Shea and Julian. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host Michael Harlan Turkel, Here today with Piche Ong and Julian Medina. And we were just talking about uh well, I mean, we ended right on apple pie. And Piche took him a while to actually enjoy that flavor, that that experience. I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I know people that you know uh, never had chocolate chip cookies up until you know their twenties, and they're still not a hundred percent sure they like chocolate. I, I didn't have a sweet tooth up until I met my girlfriend, and um, wouldn't yeah. eat that. I'd crave more of the bitter than the sweet thing. So
3: yeah, I grew up with milk chocolate myself. I think I, I think every kid grows up with milk chocolate, you know. Uh, I, I, and but um and pretty soon they discover bittersweet and other varieties of chocolate, but I still like milk chocolate.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, which actually is a great segue into PC and I were chatting a little, uh, about how America's well, New York more specifically, it's been simplifying a lot of things. Uh, you don't go out for, you know, steak bordelaise; you go out for a hamburger, you don't go out for nice restaurants. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 but it's not a downgrade. It's just literally a simplification of cuisine, you know, pizza and burgers are in most restaurants, but you've seen that a lot with desserts as well. So leaping from milk chocolate, the candy bar, um, you don't see Jokans. You don't see Genoa cakes. You don't see more complex features of pastry chef skills. You see deconstructed, you know, candy bars, Snickers, et cetera.
3: Well, people like familiarity these days. So even if you're doing something complicated, like a big Alaska, uh, it's still something that people identify with, uh, lemon meringue pie, yeah. um, s'more. Um, uh, and they're not necessarily easy to make. I, I wouldn't say it's easy. Um, but it's familiar to people and people tend to go for that. Um, You know, it's it's along the same line as a a restaurant. uh, Regardless of cuisine, you could be a steakhouse, you could be Italian, you could be um, Korean. And you sort of have a burger on the menu, which is very strange for me. um, Or pizza. Yeah. You know, uh and I think uh, there's something familiar about those categories of food that New Yorkers um go for. And this is regardless of price because you have burgers that are like $38 and <laughs> it's not necessarily cheap either. Yeah. But, you know, but, you know, what I grew up with is like 99 cents burger, you know. Um,
2: it's it's kinda of fascinating though that you do see burger across every level. I mean Copalia I'm assuming has a burger on the menu.
3: Yeah,
4: we have uh, a few burgers. Yeah. Is this your first burger on a menu? Um uh yeah, I think so. And Toluach I have a burger also for lunch. Yeah. That I made it like Mexican with poblanos and chiles and stuff. Yeah. Which is different. And people like it. it's not the best seller, obviously they go for the tacos or quesadillas, but but also as Pichet says it's just that you know the comfort Comfort food is just uh, comfort food for everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, where you go or whatever. You know, you can have a burger on the menu and it's not going to, you know, downgrade you or something. It's just like, you know, um, I think it's it's more for the comfort part. And I think, you know, uh, cooking of like every chef in New York has just been, you know, um, going towards that. So I think, and I I agree because I like comfort food. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel more like in home or stuff you know the things that you grow up i mean
2: yeah but it's funny to note that the more successful comfort food restaurants have chefs that have spent years and years in the kitchen i mean combined you guys have how many almost 40 years of kitchen experience And only now are you starting to turn back to, you know, comfort food or simplification.
3: I have to be honest. I mean, I love comfort food, too. But I do miss the days of, like, friends flying into New York and going for, like, Les pinas or Les Celebrités or, you know, these, uh, you know, restaurants that don't have burgers on menus, you know. and. And now when as soon as chefs come to New York, they're like, "Okay, let's go get a burger. Let's go get a pizza. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah. You know, it's just uh, a bit strange, a phenomenon for me. You know, you you would think that that, um, um, you know, culinary palates have advanced. I mean, uh, maybe they have advanced for burger, but it's, you know, we're going back to basics in a way.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, what dishes of hot cuisine do you guys hope to reintroduce back to New York?
3: hot cuisine? Yeah. What dishes? Yeah. Oh, you know, I, there's like so many. Um, I, I like the fact that there's crudo appearing everywhere now. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's another thing that's actually very simple in general. Like crudo, it, it just relies so much on fresh, freshness of ingredient. You know, at, at Coppelle we have um, a, a ceviche, which is, you know, kind of like a crudo. And I think, you, you know, with appearance of that in all types of menu, particularly with Italian restaurants, um, I think it's a really good thing.
2: So crudo is kind of like what burger has been. It's, it's appearing in Italian. It's yeah. appearing in Latin American. It's you should see more
3: of that yeah. in any kind of cuisine. Yeah. I mean, we see it in, in, I think every, every type of cuisine in the world has a kind of raw product, uh, you know, on the menu. I love the Korean beef tartare. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, once again, you said at least there's K-Town still. Yeah. Right. That can, uh, you know, feed us that. Um What's interesting to note too is, you know, from your diverse backgrounds, uh, there's even more heritage and ethnicity introduced. Um, and I'm looking at you, Julian, uh, when you converted to Judaism. Yep. And uh, your wife is Jewish. Yep. New York Jew too, right? Yep. Born and raised. And yes, when you converted, um, you also started incorporating a lot of those flavors and traditions into your food. And uh, I mean, you cook a, a Hanukkah. Meal every year, maybe even the Seder, Passover? Well,
4: you know, being, uh, of course, uh, you know, learning more about the culture and stuff, you also grow learning, you know, the holidays and stuff and eating, you know, it's uh, everybody, you know, eats, you know, they have the specific things to eat in, you know, certain holidays. So I thought once, uh, why not make it, you know, in Mexico, we have a big uh, Jewish population, Mexico City. So, um, we have like a couple of temples there and, um, you know, they also incorporate, you know, a lot of the, the, the Jewish traditions with the Mexican, you know, flair. So, uh, because they, you know, they, they grew up there in Mexico, so they, they have a lot of like similarities, you know, um, so it occurred to me to do a Mexican Hanukkah for the first time back in Sokolo, and being in the upper east side, and it was great <laughs> success. You know, yeah. like things on the menu, like the first time that I did a uh, this brisket taco, you know, it was like I don't know seven eight years ago, and then it was so popular that I just keep it on on the menus. Yeah. So and that was an every day, um, you know, taco, because it was it was great. It was just like great things. Yeah, so,
2: and. and- We actually uh, had done an article about that specific meal that you made uh, for Edible Brooklyn. I remember there was an apple tomatilla salsa, I think. And I'm like, that's one of the best corrosives I've ever seen. Right. Yeah,
4: Yeah, exactly. It's like that. I mean, we do, um, you know, the the Latka trio. So the the potato with the jalapeno, the zucchini with the apple. Yeah. Uh, tomatillo dipping sauce, and uh, I make a cheese actually, Mexican cheese, uh, you know, uh, lavka too. Yeah, so it, I mean, it's just like a little bit of a blend. I mean, when I go uh, visit back to Mexico City, I actually buy a few books of you know, uh, uh of uh, Jewish cuisine in the f- made from Mexicans, yeah. or whatever. And <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. It's very interesting how the mixture of cultures just combine, you know they they work very well using Mexican ingredients, yeah, you know, um so it, it's 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 a very nice way just to you know just to come and do your holiday in a different way, kind of thing so um and people love it, you know people one of the weeks that is very slow for the rest of the restaurant business being the Jewish holidays, you know we're 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 actually good because you know. Um, all these people that they wanted to do it the second or the third night that they're already bored from the mama's brisket, you know, yeah. they come to to a restaurant just to have something different, you know. Yeah. Um, so you know the matzah bowl soup. I also have my touches there. You know, I put some zucchini flowers, more like a Mexican chicken broth, some jalapeno, some lime, some brownie, and So it's a. I, I make it traditional, but uh, but I put my my own ingredients. You know, uh, my you know, Mexican touches.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, Pichet, you've been around the world, Beijing, Istanbul, uh, Sydney, consulting these areas. Are there any cuisines or uh, ingredients that you didn't expect to come into your lexicon that, you know, I'm sure you didn't initially expect Judaism to be a big part of your cooking life at first. uh, But, I mean, have you seen things around the world that you didn't expect to now be part of uh, your repertoire?
3: Well, it's still... um it's actually still a, a learning curve for me when I travel. I always see something new. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot, but I, every time I go to a, a different place, I always see something new. Um, I, you know, I, I think New York is a melting pot, but when you actually go to places like Singapore or Sydney, it's even more of a melting pot. Uh, and in a way, it's a lot more um, natural over there just because it's it's been going on. Fusion food has been going on a lot longer. Um, when you actually open a restaurant in Sydney, I feel like it's just uh, you do have to do fusion. There's no other way of escaping it. Um, there, um, you know, it's just a more natural process of it over there. And even when you go to um, Singapore or Hong Kong, um, you do you go to an Italian restaurant or a French restaurant there's bound to be Asian flavors in there, just because that's uh, what the um, population um, uh, desires. You know?
2: Yeah. It's, you know, with all these kind of compounded words, I mean, beginning maybe in the U.S. with Tex-Mex. I mean, now you have, like, what, Jumex? I don't know what to necessarily (laughs) call it. I think fusion is kind of a cop-out word because it just means, oh, I've just taken all these things and put them together. Um, But it's it's a fascinating thing that... I don't hear the word fusion that much anymore. Right, I know it's, because it's all just mudded together. It's
3: just a matter of word. I think right now that category would be like what eclectic or yeah. international or uh, modern yeah. contemporary. I mean, that's it's just a matter of words. Yeah. It's just change, but it's still the same. It's still sort of fusion. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the uh, the movement of, of, of uh, you know uh, uh, Jewish based foods or kosher food is actually on the rise. Yeah. Um, it's really quite amazing. So I had, actually started out as a kosher chef at oh um, right. at Brandeis. I was uh, a chef at the kosher cafeteria. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, well, then that leads me to my last question. When are you guys going to open up a Jewish deli slash donut <laughs> shop? I mean, souvenirs <laughs> would be uh, excellent in the city.
4: That would not be a bad idea, actually.
3: <laughs> yeah. And it's something you can uh, also take to Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
2: never know. We might see another mashup cuisine restaurant come out of two yet. Um, yeah. Also, we're going to have to hopefully have another episode with you, two because we have so much more to talk about. But we, unfortunately, are running out of time. But I wanted to thank you, Piché, Julian. If you haven't checked out Copaglia any hour of the day, stop by from anything from a burger to a ceviche and a chocolate chip cookie. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hope to have you here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
1: The Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7 Monday through Saturday and 10 to 6 on Sundays. The Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market. This is a message from Fork and Anger. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today.